Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. As we launch this series today, um, Sister Linda um, sang that song and she reminded us of some of the lyrics that um, there is a thrill of hope. There's a weary world that is rejoicing. And so I want to take that phrase today, the weary world rejoices on this holy night and use that as a theme for this morning's message. There are notes that also that are printed in your bulletin uh, that if you want to follow along, if you want to make additional notes that towards the back of your bulletin, there's scripture references as well since we don't have overhead. But I know most of you got the Bible memorized. That's probably why you don't bring one with you to church. Um, so just teach the rest of us your scripture memory principles, how you memorize 66 books so you don't have to bring your Bible to church. I know most of us got it on our phones and electronic devices. I'm just messing with y'all. But this, this hymn, this Christmas carol, O Holy Night, was written in 1847. It was um, commissioned. There was a local Catholic priest who asked a French winemaker by the name of Francis Capot if he would write a poem. This winemaker was also a poet. And he asked him if he would write a hymn for the upcoming midnight mass and Christmas service at the local church. The interesting thing about this winemaker, Francis Capot, is that he wasn't even a member of the church. He didn't attend church regularly. Most of us would see that as, you know, sacrilege. You know, it's kind of like some of us, you know, we, we get super spiritual and super religious when Motown songs come on. We, we just don't feel right. You know, we feel like we ought to sing Good, Good Father all the time. But, you know, Smokey Robinson and Diana Ross come on. You know you want to tap your foot. But you start thinking about the saints at Park Lawn. So can you imagine it was the same way in 1847? This French wine, plus he a winemaker? Come on now. The man was actually shocked that he had been asked by this church leader to write this song, but he took it on. He took the, he took the charge on. And he went to Luke chapter 2 to get some background on the advent of Jesus Christ. And this is when Mary and Joseph 
who were from the tribe of Judah had been called to go back to the city of Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus had issued an order that every Jewish person should go back to their tribal city to pay their taxes. So they left from Nazareth down to the city of Bethlehem. And verse 6 says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the, city of the, day, the, the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This, this poet, winemaker, went to this scripture and he came away with the revelation that this was a holy night. This was a night that was like no other. And I want you to get this revelation today that because of this night, all of our lives are changed. This night, it, it literally changed the course of history. It, 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 it separated the calendar from B.C., before Christ, to A.D., after Christ, in the year of our Lord. This night literally separates you also from your past from the power that held you back, from the habits and from the strongholds and from the addictions that weigh you down. Because of this night, it means a new start for mankind. It means that in spite of your failures, there's hope. In spite of your struggles, there's freedom. One verse says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. I want your soul this morning to feel that hope, to feel its worth, to feel the thrill of hope, to feel that, you know, I am important to God, that he had me in his mind and in his heart on this night. It ought to bring a thrill to your soul, the thrill of hope. There are many of us who have longed for a new beginning. If you think back, some of you all are already free, and thank God you're, you're saved and filled with the precious Holy Ghost and on your way to heaven. But there are some people that love God but still are weighted down with certain struggles. And they're longing for a new beginning. They're locked up in a prison of lies. And this morning, I want to I speak to that group of people that somehow your struggle has become a stronghold. A stronghold is a, is a prison, it's a, it's a place of confinement. But the good news is that you can be free from addictions, you can be free from failures, and your struggles don't have to become strongholds. If you've ever wrestled with anything, with your own self-image, with your diet, with alcohol or any other substance, maybe with shopping, maybe with pornography, maybe with uh, the stewardship of your body and how you uh, deal with your sexuality, 
whatever that struggle is, the battle begins in the mind. The mind is a battlefield. And so the scripture tells us to renew our mind. Because of this night, you can renew your mind. You can find freedom from the trap of lies. Let me give you a definition of addiction. An addiction is anything that I do that I don't want to do, but I can't stop doing. Some of us are addicted to TV. Some of us are addicted to anger. Some of us are addicted to our cell phones. Just, just let the Holy Ghost convict you. Some of us are addicted to gossip, addicted to lying. It's anything that we do that we don't want to do, but we cannot stop doing. It controls our lives. Some of us are addicted to work. Some of us are addicted to shopping, addicted to food, drugs, sex, alcohol. You do it, you don't want to, but you can't stop. And the battlefield is in your mind, and so addiction lies to us. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we are in a struggle. It's, it's, it's not, it goes on to tell us that God has given us weapons, but our weapons are not natural weapons. They are spiritually empowered by God. And these weapons pull down strongholds. They take captive every thought because the devil, he attacks the mind. That's where the battle is. And so he lies to us. He deceives us in our mind. These are some of the lies that he tells us that causes us to live in bondage. The lie is, this struggle has become who I am. It's my identity. It's what I do, therefore it's, it's who I am. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The moment you internalize that, you then begin to become that. I thank God for, for recovery programs, 12-step programs. But one of the faults that I find in 12-step programs, and I know they're very practical, but in the sight of God, you are not what you have done. You are not what you have done. You are not what you do. You are who God says you are. Here's another lie that keeps us in this struggle, in this stronghold. When I try to quit and fail, or I have tried to quit and I failed, and so it has become, I become trapped in this sin. And it won't change. There's nothing I can do to get free. I've tried this, I've tried that, it didn't work, there's no way out, so I guess I'm just stuck here. And there are many of us that live like those two men on the road to Emmaus. We just know the dead Jesus. We don't know the resurrected Jesus who says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who gives you a new start on this holy night. One of the other lies is that any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. There are some people that literally begin to defend their addiction when they're challenged or when, when loving family members or friends bring an interviction to them, they swell up. They want to defend their interest. <laughs> right? Right? You know, you're you eating too much. What you mean I'm eating too much? 
I'll come over there and sit on you. See, that's my point. We defend, right? When our addiction is threatened, come on, y'all. I know y'all laughing, but I know this is speaking to some people. There's some things that you struggle with that when, it's, when, you, when you're challenged by it, you wanna, you're ready to fight. How can you get free? It's the truth that sets you free. Amen? Here's another lie. This addiction will cause me to lose my life. I'm past the point of no return. I've gone too far. I'm going to die in this. This is who I am. There's no way for me to get free. One day y'all just going to come in here and y'all just going to see me with Twinkies all around me and you know, a honey bun stuck in my mouth and I'm just, I'm just going to die. I'm stuck. Whatever your addiction is, you feel like there's no way out. But God can still do more for you in the latter days than he did in the former. Here's another lie. The last one I'll deal with is that this eases my pain. When I get my fix, I feel better. I find comfort in my addiction. But you know what you're really, that's a lie because what really is happening is that it's leading to more shame. And the more you do it, the harder it is to get out of it. So you, you falsely medicate yourself with that addiction and you just feel guiltier. You become trapped in the lie. I'm so grateful as we learned through the Mostly Healthy uh, Spirituality Series and thank God for the women who led us during the month of November on how to become emotionally healthy and eight things we need to quit doing. Eight things we need to quit doing. I'm free because I'm not going to overfunction. I don't have to preach every Sunday. I know some of y'all, Bishop ain't preaching, I ain't coming. Well, <laughs> amen. I'm not going to overfunction. I'm not, come on now. Thank you, ladies, for freeing us up. But one of, hey man, one of the things I appreciate about the scripture is that God does not hide the flaws of his people. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Come on, Timothy had ulcers. Thomas was a doubter. Jeremiah dealt with depression. There's all kind of stories in the Bible. But even the apostle Paul, the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, says, hey, I struggle too. In Romans chapter 7, I'm reading from the Message Bible, and it might be, I think it's in your handout. Uh, verse 14, I'm just going to start at verse 14. All of that may not be in there. Paul said, I can anticipate the response that is coming. I know that all of God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself. After all, I spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I've decided to do good, but I don't really do it. I decided not to do bad, but then I do it all anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. 
Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Verse 21, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that none or all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted and he set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Even the apostle Paul was caught in that struggle. But on this holy night, you can be free. There is a weary world that's rejoicing. I know some of you all that are, that are sitting here, you're Christians, you're on your way to heaven, but you've got struggles in your life. You've got strongholds. You've got chains. Next week, we're going to talk about the verse of the song that says, chains shall he break. You've got chains, things that are holding you back. And Apostle Paul goes on to say that I found the chain breaker. He set me free. The lies are one thing that the devil uses. And we dealt with some of those, but there's a second thing before we bring this message to a close, and that is idols. Idols calls us to live with, in bondage. The lies battle with our mind, but the idols, they struggle with our heart. I gave you the definition of a stronghold. Let me give you the defini defini def definition of an idol. An idol are things that we allow to sit on the throne of our heart other than God. These are things that we allow to control us. It's not just a habit when you have an idol, but it's a love. Something you enjoy doing, something you love doing. It's not just an addiction, but it's a passion. And whatever we become obsessed with, we imitate. We worship. We fall in love with it, and then we become that. The Bible tells us to put God first, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of the things will be added unto us. So if we're going to be free, we've got to say no to the flesh. Every one of us is made up of three parts. The first part we see is the body. The second part is our soul, it's our mind, it's our intellect, it's our will, it's the expression of who we are through our personality and, and how we talk and how we think and how we act. But then the third part of us is the spirit part of us, that part that lives eternally, the part that came from God and is always willing to commune and to obey God. But it's the flesh that is weak. It's that body part of us and even the soulish part of us that has to be renewed and has to be crucified every day. During the month of January, we're going to start the new year with a series called Finding Freedom. We're going to begin the year just focusing on helping people to live a disciplined life, denying the flesh. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, 25, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Hallelujah. 
whatever you starve is going to die. I just want to give you a good, a good uh, a message and good news that you don't have to wait till January to say no to the flesh. Amen. You don't have to wait. Well, I'm going to find freedom in January. I'm just going to tear it up until then. I got four more weeks. No. Whatever you starve will die. And whatever you feed is going to thrive. So we got to get our idols in check. We got to get the right king over our life, which is Jesus. Here's, a, here's another key. Is that you have to go all in. If you're going to find freedom, you got to go all in. This thing only works when you work it. Amen? It only, the word works if you work the word. <laughs> you got to go all in. You can't just be a casual follower of Jesus Christ. You've got to be committed to him all the way. You can't just say, well, I'm going to try Jesus out for, I'm going to give him three days and see how it works. No, you got to be all in. If you work it, I guarantee you will experience change and transformation. Hallelujah. So there's no halfway. There's no lukewarm. You got to jump all the way in. You got to dive in. That's why I call this, this, this series the thrill of hope. Because it's a thrill. When you're getting ready to do something for the first time, don't you feel that, that anxiety, that sense of a thrill? I remember my granddaughter, she loves to swim. Uh, the first time she thought about doing a backwards flip, a backwards dive into the pool. I mean, she must have ran up to the edge of the pool about 15 times. I was like, come on, baby, do it. She was experiencing that thrill of hope. I'm like, come on, you got to be all in. And then finally... She flipped and landed in the water, and I mean, she was like, yes! That's the same thing that you'll experience when you totally surrender to Jesus Christ. So here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, so here is what I want you to do. God is helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity on the inside of you for those of you that you got some stuff that you're doing you don't really want to do it but you just can't seem to help it I've got good news for you you can be free because of this holy night. If you're weary, if you're worn down, if you're carrying a weight and you're struggling with something, your struggles don't have to become strongholds. You are not what you have done. You are not what you do. Don't believe that lie. You are who God says you are. 
And God says that you can be transformed by crucifying your flesh, by saying no to the flesh. Why don't you just close your eyes right now? All over this gymnasium, eyes closed and heads are bowed. Anyone who's here right now, and you know that you are not right with God, or you're not at the place with God that you should be, you're not at the place where you should be. Jesus is here to help you turn your life around. And all you have to do is just pray this prayer and say, Jesus, I repent. Turn my life around. Reorder my life today. Jesus, I put you first in my life. Change me. Forgive me. Come and live inside of me. Live my life for you. I'm going all in today, Jesus. I'm making a decision today. I'm not holding back. I want to experience that thrill of hope. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkline Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.